Welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine. Hi, I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I'm serialising the love letters of my great-great-grandparents, Fred Shepard and Janie Warburton. Travel 140 years back in time with me now, where we take a look at Victorian history through their eyes. And today, we've got a great episode for you. It's finally Janie's brother's wedding. been looking forward to this episode so much. I've been absolutely beside myself anticipating sharing this episode of the podcast. Janie's brother, Fred Warburton, married Mary Rowe on Thursday the 15th of June 1882, and we get to have a fabulous look at a Victorian wedding from the point of view of the chief bridesmaid, or maid of honour as Janie would probably have been known then. It was not plain sailing by any means. But before we get to the exciting bit, it appears that an opportunity for Janie to visit Middlesbrough has presented itself, although the arrangement of it takes at least eight letters over the course of the next two weeks. It's a fascinating look at how people had to navigate the practicalities when all they have at their disposal is letters, calling on the relevant people in question, sending messages via mutual acquaintances, and trying to nail down events through the haze of unreliable hearsay. We start with Janie's confusion, as expressed in her next letter. As a reminder, the Miss Smith she mentions is the fiancé of Alvy, Fred's co-worker at the Steelworks. Hansworth, June 14th, 1882. My own darling husband, I received your welcome letter this morning. I am pleased I have done your tie to suit you, love. It would not have been a bad one if it lasts for another four years. About the excursion in Middlesbrough. I do not know when it is, love. Tom Wortley made a muddle of it when he told me. He was half tight. When I saw Annie last Sunday, she said she had talked to Tom about an excursion, but it was last week and she could not go then. But she thought there was another in July and she would be quite agreeable to go then. I don't know how I can manage to get off if it is next Saturday, love, but let me know all the particulars if you can and then I will try my best. I should like to come, darling. I could have managed it better if it had been Saturday week. I went to Sheffield yesterday, Tuesday, and I am sorry I can't possibly call on Miss Smith today, as we have to do tomorrow's work as well as today's. Do you think Miss Smith could meet me at Darnell Station on Friday night? She might come by the 7.20 train, or if that is too early, I would meet her at Attercliffe Station by the 8 o'clock train. I think cocaine's close at 7. It would be so nice to have additional company. I shall see Annie Wortley tomorrow, as she is to come to tea at the wedding, and then I can make arrangements with her. If Miss Smith could get to know all the particulars, as she will have a better opportunity than I shall. There is so little time, darling, you will not be able to let me know whether Miss Smith can meet me or no. I think I will meet the train at Darnall and Attercliffe in any case. And then if there is any chance of getting to see our husbands, we shall not miss it. And if Miss Smith cannot come, it will only be a walk as I can go and see your mother. I should not care to go to Glover's friends, love. I have scarcely time to say anything tonight, love. I have the room to clean yet, and it is now six o'clock. I will give you a long one after the wedding, but if I get to Middlesbrough, love, I will tell you how everything went off, and that will be much better than writing. The paper from Nottingham came from our Polly. They have been there three days. She thought she would mystify you a bit. 
I remain, as always, your loving, true and faithful wife, Janie. The North Eastern Steel Company Limited, Royal Exchange, Middlesbrough, June the 14th, 1882. My own darling wife, I have pleasure in giving you a few lines for tomorrow, my little darling, just to please you, you know. I wish I could be there, love, just for the day. It would be very enjoyable. We have had a hard day today, love, so you must please excuse a long letter this once, as I feel very tired. It is the board meeting tomorrow again, and if there is anything I'm particularly fond of, it is board meetings. I should like to see you tomorrow, darling. I feel sure you will do justice to yourself. I always feel proud of you, my little wife, on these occasions, but I shall feel much fonder when you are my wife, darling, for then you will be my very own. Will you kindly wish the bride and bridegroom the usual good wishes for me, love? I do wish it was ours as well, darling. Did you let me share your wedding present, love, with you? And if so, what was it? And how much did it cost? And I will refund it when next I see you, love. You must give me a long letter, love, telling me everything that went off, so that I can fancy I am there and enjoying it with you. I have not time for any more, love. I remain, my darling wife, more than ever, your loving, true and faithful husband, Fred. Continued, June the 15th. 1882. My own darling wife, I received your welcome letter this morning for which I thank you. With reference to the excursion to Middlesbrough, love, I cannot get to know anything more about it here. I expected Annie Wortley would know all about it. I think the best place to get to know will be our house for the trip. I understand it is in connection with Burroughs Works, and Fletcher, the man that came in the room, you know, when I was over, works there. I am writing home so that my mother can get to know for you, and then if you call there first before going to meet the train, you'll be fully prepared with full information. Alvy is writing to ask Miss Smith to come by one of the trains you mention, so you may possibly see her. I should like to see you, my darling, if only for an hour, just for a kiss or two. I expect you will be in the thick of the wedding festivities, love, and here I am hard at work, but we will have some of our own love before long and then perhaps I may have a chance of enjoying myself, especially on the night, love. Okay? How did your Fred go on, love? Did he carry it through successfully? I mean the ceremony, of course. I should think if he gets tight, he will not be the most enjoyable bedfellow for Polly, love. How shall you go for me if I get tight, love, when our little affair comes off? Shall you object to sleep with me, or shall we both get tight, and then we should be quits? If we do get tight, I think the only place will be you know where, love, which I don't mind being tight at all. It's all this wedding, love, that has made me think of these things. You must forgive me. I am much obliged to Polly for the newspaper. I thought I had seen the writing somewhere before, but could not tell where. You must give me a good long one for Sunday, darling. I remain, my darling wife, your loving, true and faithful husband, Fred. Hansworth, our Fred's, June the 16th, 1882. My darling Fred, I have not time to say much. I am helping Polly send out the bride's cake. I want to get it done in time to go to Darnall. 
The excursion is not tomorrow. I have heard it is on Tuesday week, so I shall come if it is then. I will give a long one on Sunday, darling. I remain, as always, my darling husband, your loving, true and faithful wife, Janie. P.S. I did wish you were here yesterday, love. I love you more than ever. The tradition of sending out a piece of wedding cake to people who couldn't come to the wedding is starting to fade away now. Given that modern wedding cakes are more likely to be made of a favourite flavoured sponge rather than a sturdy dark fruit cake that can stand up to some abuse. The recipe for bride cake in Mrs Beaton's book of household management for 1906 calls for several pounds of flour, butter and sugar, along with spices, citrus peel, almonds, brandy, seven and a half pounds of currants and 24 eggs. Even if the Warburton bride cake was half this size, I wonder if it was actually made at the Cross Keys, given that the kitchen and range there would have been more of a size to take on the baking of a larger cake. Preparation would have been significantly more laborious as sugar came in solid loaves and had to be pounded into crystals to be usable. Of course, every element would have been done by hand. It would probably have been made a couple of months beforehand and then stored, infused occasionally with drizzles of brandy. Prior to the wedding, it would have been retrieved for decoration as described here in Mrs Beaton's. Thickly encrusted with almond icing and then iced all over with royal icing and when dry, decorated with piping, silver leaves, artificial flowers and gum paste ornaments. Where something special is desired, natural flowers are used for decoration. According to Carol Wilson's book, Wedding Cake, A Slice of History, there was a specific tradition relating to brides in East Yorkshire. After eating a small piece of the cake, the bride threw some over her head to ensure that she and her new husband would want for nothing. The groom then threw the plate over his head. If it broke, the couple's future happiness and good fortune were assured. I don't know if the tradition was followed at this wedding, but it's fun to think it might. I also wonder if the cake, along with supplying the wedding breakfast, was James and Maria Warburton's contribution to their youngest son's wedding. Remember, the cross keys was right inside the churchyard of St Mary's Handsworth, so after the ceremony, the bride and groom and the rest of the wedding party would have had a very short walk to their celebrations. Given that Janie's earlier letters talk about getting hats made for the bride and the bridesmaids, in all probability, Polly Rowe didn't wear a white dress, but would have had a fashionable new dress made that she could have worn again. There would have been a veil, however, attached to her hat. The bridesmaids also had pretty dresses that would have been able to have been worn a second time. However, as Janie writes, things did not go smoothly for the bride or anyone else from the start. Hansworth, June the 17th, 1882. My own darling husband, we have got this great event over at last. I will tell you our proceedings all through the day. I went down to Mr Rose in the morning about nine to dress. We had quite a chapter of little accidents. When Polly was nearly dressed, she tore a piece of frilling off her dress. Then, when we were all ready, except putting on Polly's hat and veil, we went down into the room 
and she spilled a glass of wine all down her dress. It happened to be sherry, so it did not stain it. If it had been port, it would have been ruined. Then, just as she was ready to go to church, I tore a bit more frilling. We were at the church exactly at quarter to eleven. There were a lot of people there to look at us. We got pounds of rice thrown at us. It was a very short ceremony. Mr. Allen told the clergyman to cut it short, as our Fred was very nervous. It got through very well, though. He stammered a bit now and again. Polly went through it best. I think we all looked very nice. I should have enjoyed it, darling, if you could have been with me, very much more than I did. We had breakfast at about half past twelve. It was a very nice one. We had beef, ham, chickens, tongue, tea and coffee and all kinds of sweets. The bride's cake was a very good tasting one. We shall want one about a hundred weight to supply all our friends, I think, love, shan't we? A very hearty thunderstorm came on about one o'clock, so we did not start for our drive until three. I did wish you were there with me, darling. I only half enjoy anything without you. Tom Wortley, Annie Mills, her sister and Annie Wortley came up to our house in their trap in the afternoon and went with us for the drive. The weather turned out splendid. We went to Wickersley and called at the public house we stop at coming from Roche Abbey and spent a very pleasant half hour. I did wish you could be there. They turned the table on one side and had a dance. I had one with Henry Reckless. I thought you would not mind, as he is my cousin, love, and two with Annie Wortley. Then we left Wickersley to go through Brampton, Uli and Houghton back home. Tom Wortley was driving first, as our driver did not know the way. When we got about a mile on our way, in a very lonely part, no houses near, Tom was turning a sharp corner and upset the trap. It was not his fault altogether. We thought he had turned the horse all right and turned his head to see if we were coming and the trap went over in a heap of dirt and threw them all out. Miss Mills fell on a stone and hurt her very badly about the face. Her eye was swollen as big as a hen's egg. It was a wonder they were not killed. I thought her leg was broken. I was so thankful when she got up that there were no bones broken. I helped her to get to our carriage, but I could not tell you who was on the other side of her. It put us in such a fright. Fortunately, there was a doctor passing at the time. He told us to get some dock leaves and put over her eye and get her home as quick as possible and put a new milk poultice on. He was such a kind old gentleman. Annie Wortley and Miss Mill's sister escaped with a bruise or two and Tom's lips were cut. It damped our pleasure all the way home. Annie Mills was very brave, though she was hurt so much. She tried her best to keep us from bothering about her. Her lips and nose was very much swollen. She could not talk a deal. We were six or seven miles from their house when the accident occurred. She was not much better yesterday. She would be sore all down one side, poor girl. She is a little better today. We were just saying in our carriage how glad we were we had come, as it turned out so nice. We should have enjoyed the drive back again if it had not happened. We came down Willie Lane. It is like a long avenue. All the trees meet overhead. 
If we go for a drive when we are married, darling, we will go that way. It is splendid. In our carriage was Maria, Lizzie Rowe and I, our Fred, Fred and Polly inside, Willie Rowe, Henry Reckless and George outside. We got back to tea at seven. Then we had some music. Our William and Polly went home in the carriage at half past eight. Then we had charades, but we could not throw the gloom off altogether. We broke up at half past one. Our Fred, Henry and George Rowe had a little more drinks than was good for them. Fred and Polly slept at their own house. I went down there to tea yesterday and to send the bride cake. Did you get yours all right and did you like it, love? I went down to Darnell and met the trains last night, but Miss Smith must have been prevented from coming as I did not see her. I called at your house. Your mother is not quite so well. All the rest are quite well. I went up home with Polly Corbett. There is two excursions. The one you spoke about is a fortnight on Monday, Borough's trip, but it is only for one day. The other is to Newcastle races for three days on Tuesday week. It is in the Telegraph today. Don't you think that would be the best to come by? Tom Wortley is going with Annie. Where would Miss Smith stop if she came for three days? And where would you put me up at? I should very much like to come, darling. I do yearn to see you again. It seems months ago since you were here. I am very sorry I can't give you a longer letter, my darling. It is past time. We have had a noisy lot of folks in and I could not begin until late. I love you, my own husband, more than ever and shall always remain your loving, true and faithful wife, Janie. Well, I think we can all agree that that was one heck of a wedding. I'm pretty convinced that Tom Wortley's habit of being half tight, which you might remember Janie already mentioned in the first letter of this podcast, could well have been a contributing factor to the accident. I am wondering about this tradition of going for a drive after the wedding, which sounds for all the world like a bit of a pub crawl. They went quite away, nearly as far as Roche Abbey, which is 10 miles from Handsworth. Curiously, I have an account of a similar event, although not with the drama, for Aunt Staniforth's wedding nearly 50 years earlier in Rosamond Duquesne's book, Sicklesmiths and Spear Carriers. She writes, In 1833, John Staniforth married Mary Carnell. After the ceremony, and prior to undertaking the serious business of making a living, the newly wedded couple, with several of their friends, drove from Woodhouse over the moors to the wheat sheaf at Baslow, which was kept by a friend of theirs, Mr Ingleby, and there they all stayed until night fell when they started back. Even as the crow flies, Baslow, which is near Chatsworth, is 14 or 15 miles from Woodhouse, so it is good to read that they made the return journey through the dark of an autumn night without mishap or disturbing element, the cross daggers being their destination, of which well-known and popular in they were duly installed as host and hostess. For the avoidance of any confusion, the cross daggers was the first pub Aunt Staniforth and her husband ran years before they acquired the Wellington Inn in Darnall. Perhaps going for a post-wedding breakfast drive was a local tradition or something that was practised by lower middle and upper working class people. It sounds like it's basically a knees up for all your mates, doesn't it? 
It's quite common for weddings in the UK to be in two parts. You have the wedding reception for the family and then a more informal evening reception to which you can invite all your friends. Going for a drive to a pub for some dancing and some boozing could possibly be a forerunner of this, but finding out the non-Downton Abbey style of wedding traditions has proved more than a bit difficult. Fred mentions receiving his piece of the wedding cake in his next letter. I was assuming Janie and Polly were sending dainty pieces out in pretty boxes, but from the sounds of things, it looks like Fred may have been sent a fair decent chunk. I'm imagining Janie persuading Polly to put a bit more in a tin, especially for him. Albert Terrace, Linthorpe Road, Middlesbrough, June the 17th, 1882. My darling wife, I received your short but welcome letter this morning enclosing the wedding cake. I thought they would not entirely forget me in dispensing their favours, and I am pleased to receive it. I divided it amongst the firm, Banks, Shepherd and Co., and the firm wished long life and prosperity to the bride and bridegroom. It would all be very useful experience for you, love, this wedding, and no doubt you would enjoy sending out the cake. Of course, during the operation, there would not be any pumping on your part as to the experiences of the first night. You would not be curious at all. Women never are, especially on these matters. How did your Fred look, love, after the dreadful ordeal? Did he still exist? On Thursday night, Mr Cooper being at York, we got finished at six, and as you were having such festivities at Handsworth, I thought we would go in for something similar here. So we invested sixpence in Rip Van Winkle at the theatre, which was very good. On Friday night, I went down to Davis's and received much valuable information as to setting up housekeeping. It was all very good, but rather frightened me. He referred to the bills of his furniture. £25 for the dining room suite, £4 for the table, £14 for the bedroom suite. It made me think that our £30 would look very small of and made me rather glum. However, I am on the strongly commercial tack and shall, I think, save about £6 this month, so we may have a little more than £30 by October. But how shall we go on if we have to get married earlier, love? It will be rather a bad lookout. But I will not continue on this subject any longer, or I shall be making you glum also. You forgot to say in your letter whether it had come off or not, love. I suppose from that that it has not but yesterday should have been the time. I will wait until tomorrow, and perhaps you will say something about it then. This afternoon, I went to the Middlesbrough Cricket Club sports, which were very good, but as I was not running, I did not enjoy it so much. The prizes were distributed by Mr Dixon, who seems to be a big gun in this neighbourhood, and they were pretty fair, of about the same value as Darnall last year. It came on raining immediately after the sports and continues to do so. Banks and Alvy have gone to the Swatter's car to have a game of billiards, but as I don't play billiards much and have no desire for any beer, I am the sole representative of the firm at their place of business. Of course, my darling, I do feel lonely without you, but I will not complain. I wish it was morning, wifey, and then I should get another letter from you, giving me all the particulars about everything. I do love you, my darling, more than ever. Continued June the 18th. My darling... I received your letter this morning and was rather disappointed. I expected a longer one, love, but I suppose you would be hurried, and judging from the differences in spelling and grammar from yours usually, I should say you were. I am sorry to hear that all did not go well, but very thankful that you were not hurt. Alvy says 
Miss Smith was working away so that she could not catch the trains. About the excursions, love. The one to Newcastle won't come any nearer than Darlington to Middlesbrough and in returning leave Newcastle at seven, so it would get to Sheffield about two next morning. How would that suit you? The other one for a day would be too much for you, I think, though it would be convenient. You could stay the week, as a double journey by the trip won't be cheaper than the single joint ordinary fare. If you came and did not stay at Marston's, you would be all right at Mrs Gordon's, as she asked me the other night if you would not be coming over and said she would be pleased for you to stop there. I expect Miss Smith would do the same. I notice that you do not say whether you are all right or not, love. I suppose you have not thought about it. It is a beautiful day here today, but unfortunately I cannot enjoy it as I have got a splitting headache. I think I shall have another affair the same as I had last year and the year before at this time, but so far it is not very bad. I will let you know if I am not all right, darling. I do wish we were married, love, and then I should have a little congenial society. There is Banks blowing his confounded cornet, and a cornet in a room combined with a headache is not the happiest combination one could imagine. Whereas if I had a wife and she played a cornet, I could request her to stop it. But you cannot do that in lodgings, you know. You must write early, and let me know how you are, love, as I am getting anxious about the matter. I cannot write any more, love, except that I love you as ever, and you know how much that is, and remain your true and faithful husband, Fred. Oh, Fred, how can you possibly be disappointed with Janie's letter about the wedding? It was truly epic. I know I have several listeners who tell me they get rather cross with Fred, mithering about the length of Janie's letters, especially when it is blatantly obvious that she's doing her best. He's a bit of a mardy character at times, isn't he? Don't get me wrong, I still love him. Rip Van Winkle was originally a short story written by American author Washington Irving who nowadays is probably more known for having also written The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Rip Van Winkle tells of a man who imbibes liquor with a group of mysterious Dutchmen causing him to sleep all the way through the American Revolution. It was adapted into a play by American actor and comedian Joseph Jefferson, and it became his signature role, which he toured all around the US, Australia and Great Britain. The guy toured and played the role for 40 years, and I am curious to know if it was actually this chap that our Fred and his mates got to see. If you are interested, Jefferson actually lived long enough to have his performance as Rip recorded in a series of short, silent movies in 1896, which you can find on YouTube if you search Jefferson Rip Van Winkle. As for the noise of Banks playing his cornet, next time we find out that Janie is full of sympathy as it turns out some of the villagers in Handsworth have started up a brass band and Janie finally lets Fred know if she's pregnant or not. Thank you so much for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. I'd very much like to share Fred and Janie's story with more people. So if you haven't already, can I ask you to share this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it? You can also find excerpts of Fred and Janie's letters on Instagram at my Love Letter Time Machine or one word, and you can write to me at myloveletter at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.